Welcome to the Cold World Podcast. This is like episode 77, something like that. That's crazy. I've done a lot of these. Um, This episode is focused on entrepreneurship. I've been getting a lot of questions about it. And um, just folks want to hear the journey that I've had and the organization that I've started or working on and you know, and all that good stuff. And I wanted to make sure I was, you know, I want I want to give you that that realness, that rawness, and, and and just be honest with it because um I didn't really see a lot of entrepreneurs when I was younger. I saw and the ones I did see had a big influence on my life. I talked about it in one of the videos I did. Uh my barber, Frank, Frank Otis, been running one for all barbershop for a long time since I was a kid. And uh, he was the first one of the first black folks I saw owning something, and that that did something for me. And he owned something that was legal, and um, I just thought it was dope. And I never got a chance to really see. Um, I just never got a chance to see that, and so it meant a lot to me. So some of the questions I got asked that I was gonna make sure I covered was uh, somebody asked me what my entrepreneurship story was, what motivated me to start, what motivates me now, and uh, I'm gonna talk about it. So. You know, what motivated me from before is um, I just didn't have anything to lose, man. I think, you know, I know y'all, if you listen to the podcast, you know a lot about my story. Um, and I'll probably end up repeating a lot of it because it, it does drive a lot of what I do, why I do, and how I do it. And so when I think about that, right, like, you know, growing up, poor like not 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 having to want for something financially like like when you live when you like live in shelters you feel me like I lived in I've lived in four shelters in my life two in San Francisco and two in Oakland and the feeling of having to wear somebody else's clothes like clothes that they gave away for charity like that they didn't want to wear no more whether they gave it away for a good cause or not like I was wearing and having to chair somebody else's garbage. And so I think, you know, I, I got to a place where I was like, I don't ever want to be in that position again. And I, on the entrepreneur tip, I just felt like, I learned this when I played basketball. There's usually a star on a team in hoop that you trust to take the last shot. That's Jordan, that's LeBron, that's whomever, right? And we had those cats on our team. And sometimes they shoot, and sometimes it goes in, but most of the time they actually miss. And so when you do that and you pass the ball, and whether you win the game or not, rest in somebody else's hands and they miss, then you get this, this feeling and idea, well, damn, I could have missed. I could have shot and missed. You know what I'm saying? If I had made it, like, like my profile would have been bigger. You feel me? So that's how I looked at entrepreneurship. I've seen so many people start stuff that I thought was whack. And and that's not even on some hater shit. Like, it just was true. Like, I just thought it was it was whack. It didn't serve me or how I wanted to do it or what I had learned. And, uh, and I wanted to be able to be in control of that stuff on my own. So the other thing is I watch white people. And what I mean by that is I've seen, I've seen white folks get money. Sometimes win, but most of the time lose and then get more money and more money and more money because um, failure is not a bad thing. So I wanted to be able to walk around with that type of freedom. Like I'm not afraid to fail. I failed at so much in my life. So when you ask what motivated me, 
the beginning of my life was a failure in and of itself. I was born into failure and I got better as time went on. And uh, I, I grew because I failed a lot and I watched people around me fail. Like when you watch somebody devolve into being a crackhead, like this is the thing. I remember being a kid and me and my boy Will used to be like, damn, how, like fam, how, how do you become, like how does somebody become a crackhead? post-1990, you know, 1990, right? Like, after you've seen what crack does. And then we started to see folks. We started to see folks that started out grinding, and then they came around, their clothes was a little tattered, and then you saw them again, and something else wasn't on, you know, they seemed a little off. And before you knew it, they devolved just like a crackhead. Like, when you grow up around that, and you see that type of stuff, you feel me? I think that it motivates you in a different type of way. So... I was motivated early on, um, and my boy Will played a big role in that. And I think we pushed each other a lot. It's just because you didn't have nothing to lose. Like, you was really playing with house money, and you really just didn't want to be broke, and you really just had an idea. And I think that's why you see so many rappers, and, and, and you know, that, that like, I think that, I think that people look at rap as one of those ways that you turn entrepreneurship, and I just wanted to do it differently. I'm not a rapper. That's just not what my skill is. That's not my time. That's not my lane. Um, I ended up being decent at education. I ended up uh, being decent at, and I'm not really an education person. Like, I mean, I think that I fall into that category because, I mean, obviously I'm getting a doctorate and that stuff. And obviously I've worked a lot of my, a large part of my career in education, but I started my career as a social worker. I, I am somebody, I don't really separate uh, the education of a community versus like economic needs versus healthcare needs and things like that. But I think that the way uh, the economy is set up is that, and just the way our society works is that they they ask you to box things. But I wasn't just struggling from like, I wasn't just messed up and living in shelters because of a bad education or because my parents didn't have a good education. I think there were, I learned there were other issues. I you know I remember visiting my both my parents in jail at different times like. You know, school played a role in that. You know, their education played a role in that. But there are so many other things that was going on into that piece. So a part of my entrepreneurship story is I'd always work for folks. And uh, and I, I've always had a respect for the people that I work for. But I have this motto, you know, take what you need. I live by this motto, you know, take what you need. So every job I've had, every situation I've been in, I'm taking something um, like I don't. I have a lot of mentors. Um, I've asked people to mentor me, but I've taken the majority of my mentors. Like, if they've written something, they've published something, I've been in a meeting with them, like, at that point, I just get to take. And it's on me if I don't take that stuff. So, you know, that's what motivated me to start, though. Like, not being in control of my life, not being in control of my finances, not being in control of the quality of service that we give to people, um, and and being the person that I want to make the decisions. I'm good with making a wrong one and having to fix that, but I want to make that decision. And so, you know what I'm saying? So I respect folks that make big decisions and live with the outcomes. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to kind of, I've always, even in my jobs, even when I work for other people, I've always been entrepreneurial. I always had my goals that that boss needed me to accomplish. And then I've always had the agency to set my own goals for my life and how I wanted to impact people. So even when I was working in a big system, like a school district, 
I had the goals of that district that I had to work on. But I also spent my own time, my own money, my own efforts, like working with black moms and being like, look, this is what you need for your boy. This is what you need for your kids. This is how we're going to do this. This is this is the secret sauce that you need to know to make sure you can navigate this thing. When I was a social worker, I learned that. I think that being a social worker plays such a big role in how I move now because as a social worker, you learn early on that you are part of a bunch of systems and you don't have control over none of them. So you don't have control over the education system. You don't have control over healthcare, criminal justice stuff. You don't have control over what the state is sanctioned. But what you learn how to do is you learn how to maneuver within those systems and make all those systems kind of work in the favor of your of your client. And um, that just taught me a lot how to kind of go, how to roll with the punches while making my own set of goals uh, and squeezing those entities uh, to get what I needed for the folks that I served. So that's what motivated me early. I think, you know, like I said, man, I grew up in a household where it's like you making like decisions around how much you're going to pay on this bill versus this bill. Like that's a constant thing. I mean, people talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And I know that I got a lot of folks that know me from like an education, like academic background. So you know what Maslow's is. But I think the majority of folks that, that usually watch these videos and comment and hit me up uh, are not in that world. So Maslow is this dude. He's just some guy. <laughs> I like He's a smart guy, but he's just some guy. I, I like to demystify like these academics and folks like that. But he's a dude that made this pyramid and basically said that there are levels um, that we have to climb to before we get to, to what's called self-actualization. Um, so that first level is general safety, basic needs. Like I have a place to, to, to sleep. I have food to eat and all those things. So as a kid, those needs weren't met and I wanted to get those needs met. Um, you could sell drugs. You could, uh, play ball, play ball. Um, you could, there are a lot of things you can do, but you want to be able to get those, those needs met. So, you know, when you struggle with those needs being met, like security is such a big thing. So for me, a motivator has always been security. Even though I make decent money now, even though I've been accomplished, like if something threatens my livelihood or my security, like that 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 eight-year-old boy that moved around, you know what I'm saying, in those type of spaces, those vulnerable spaces, like a different side of me comes out and uh and you just that that's just not a side you really want to deal with. You know what I'm saying? It's it's a it's a it's a pretty primal um side of me. Um but now I'm in a different space. And I'm in a space where those needs are met. So it's like, well, what what motivates you now? That's what somebody was asking me. Like what like I work really hard and um I think that I really like to win. And I don't want to have to return to a space where uh, shit just wasn't working out like that, you know. Um, and so to not go back to what I came from motivates me a lot. And I really just what motivates me a lot is I think that when you young, I think I thought people had the answers. I thought that like folks that ran these Fortune 500 companies, folks that ran um healthcare, education, government. I thought that they just, I thought there was a level of competence that everybody kind of had and knew that I just didn't possess or that poor people didn't possess. So whatever the case is, right? And then I get to these these spaces and I start dealing with power and moving with power and they don't know either. 
And it's like, damn, like, oh, don't nobody know, right? Like, folks are really just throwing spaghetti at the wall. Like, like I love, like, Steve Jobs, I'm an Apple dude. I got Apple products all over here and um, my watch, all that stuff, right? But, like, Steve Jobs was really throwing stuff at the wall. Like, he had a vision, and it was iterative. But he didn't have a, an end answer when he started building his stuff. And, um... I think that being a visionary and having a vision and being able to execute those things um, and a little bit of ego thrown in, uh, that's that's definitely a motivator. Um, But I think that there's a a deeper conversation that folks want to have. Like, I remember listening to, like, rap songs, like, um, and and, and for as much as I can quote, you know, Foucault or um, Maslow or or Freddie or whomever, I always come back to the stuff that I grew up with. Like, so honestly, I think for all those articles uh, and, and texts that I've read, man, I, there's a rap song that I can like come back to. So, you know, as a kid, what motivated me, Tupac had this line. He said, get my weight up with my hate and pay him back when I'm bigger, man. I, so I was just really angry as a young person. And, and, and anger is a real motivating uh, factor. I was an angry kid. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I didn't always know exactly why I was angry, but I was just really angry. And I was angry at the people around me. I was angry at my family. I was angry at the different neighborhoods and, and communities I lived in. And um, and I just knew I was different. And I felt like if, you know, for the, for the moments that you are teased or made fun of for being different or for not fitting in, you know, when I moved, I was born in Chicago. And then I went to Kentucky. And I already had a Chicago accent, but then my accent got thicker in Kentucky and then I would go back to Chicago and they would make fun of my accent like I remember that and then um I would go back to Kentucky and my accent was thrown off because between Chicago and Kentucky and they would make fun of it and then I came to California and like I I just couldn't even really talk man it was just like um like people would always talk about how I spoke you know and and but what one of the things that that taught me even though I was tired of moving around and having to make new friends and it taught me a few things one um, moving so much, going to 11 elementary schools, living in shelters, it let me know that things are not permanent. Everything is temporary. Everything from the people you meet to the pain that you feel to the joy that you feel. So everything is relative. Um, and to learn that at such a young age as a, as a child uh, helps me out a lot now. I don't really get attached to much of anything. Um, like, I just don't. Um, and that's, that's really good if you're trying to be like an entrepreneur or being successful in certain things. Or even as I write this dissertation or whatever the, whatever I'm doing, I'm not completely wedded to anything. Uh, that's one thing. I think the other thing that was just big in my life, you know, dealing with that anger is I, I, got, to, I got to go through the N.A. stuff with my mom. Like, I got to go to meetings. And, and uh, I'm so grateful for that. I am, I am so it, 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 I think it helped me become a well-rounded person that can see everybody, see the human side of everybody. Um, I thought drugs only impacted black folks because that was my that was my life. In Chicago, I was only around black people. Kentucky, I was only around black people. Um, and when you saw white people, they were in positions of power over you. They were the social worker. They were the cop. They were whomever, right? They were the police officer taking my dad to jail, you know? So... But when I went to through NA stuff and I saw all these different type of people in Oakland, you know, everything from doctors, man, like white dude doctors. It was like, I, like what problems do you have, right? To, um, 
and listening to their stories and their uh, of devolvement, um, I learned that there are things out there that don't give a fuck about who you are, and they don't care nothing about you. They will ravage you, um, and and that that gave me an awareness of my surroundings in a different type of way. Um, that everybody can be a victim. Some people are more vulnerable than others, but you know these these things can get you. And it just drove me. It drove me to say, I, I never want to be a dope fiend. Like, I never... And that, that seemed like something so obvious, right? Like, but it drove me... The fear and the anger drove me in a way um, that that really colored things for me, right? So, for instance, I didn't care about school. It's not that I just really loved and enjoyed school, right? But it's just, well, let's see. What didn't my parents do, you know... They didn't really graduate and go to college and do those things. So, well, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to do that stuff, right? I'm going to get this education. like, Or, you know, my parents have worked for somebody for their whole life. And it's just like, what is it? What what, what would it be like to kind of work for myself, right? And, I, and I've never, I still haven't fully realized that. I think people ask me about the entrepreneurship. Like, I had, I don't, I don't want to say I'm not successful because I don't want to be disrespectful to people that, that, uh, that feel like I am disrespect. That that feel like I am successful, right? Like in my eyes, I'm not the success story that I want to be yet. Um, but I I know how the way I view myself can negatively impact somebody else. And I think that what happens is, and I've dealt with this uh, when talking to like family and whomever, and I'm just like I'm not there yet. And I think people automatically start to compare themselves to you. And if somebody's in a different space. And, and I'm not happy with my lot in life. They think that I'm having a that I'm really must be having a, a, a judgment on what they're doing. And I don't. I really don't care what other people are doing. Um, I think, and I think that's the other lesson. Like, what's what's for you is for you. What God got for you is yours. And um, as long as I'm checking for somebody else's bag, as long as I'm checking for what somebody else has. I can't focus on and nourish the blessings that's in front of me. I can't focus and nourish, you know, the 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 the, the things that I have to do to get better. Um, and I think that's another tip for me. I always was like, I, I've never been really worried about what somebody else was kind of um, what they were doing. If somebody was doing well, I'm happy for them. You know what I'm saying? Like, but I didn't use that as a measuring stick per se. Um, and when I say per se, coming up, there were moments where I wasn't judging what other people did, but I, I do have this mentality that if they can do it, I can do it. Like, these are all humans. These are people. Like, even when I was talking about Foucault or, or uh, you know what I'm saying, or, or Maslow, like, I, I bring them back down to a human level because they're just people. And none of these people are like God, yo. Like, none that, like... I believe in one God, you know what I'm saying? Um, as one man that I look up to, and, and, and that's Jesus in essence. Like, I, But everybody else is a person. And that means if they were able to do it, then that means that I'm, I should be able to do it. Um, and, and, and that's just what I focused on. The other thing around what motivated me or what, what goes into that, my mindset on that piece is, um, well, I'll tell you a story, and maybe this will help paint. A picture for you about how my brain and how 
and the things inside of me work. I played basketball in high school. I didn't care about nothing else in high school. Um, school wasn't super hard, like, but um, I just I just got decent grades so I could play ball and not be bothered. And I used to get into the, these arguments with my history teacher. I just went back and saw him. He's about to retire. His name was Mr. Davis at Emory, Emory High. And uh, we would just get into it all the time. And I was always disturbing class or like we would just argue because he would something would come up and I just wouldn't agree with it and I was just like I don't agree and I would give him these reasons and so we would just fight and uh they were starting this thing called they were starting this debate league and they wanted to take all these kids out to um in the summertime they wanted to take all of us to uh to to, to UC Davis for this camp and I did not want to go, man. I just didn't want to go. And Mr. Davis and my parents kind of conspired with my basketball coach and was like, you got to go. Like, I wanted to be training in the summer. Like, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to be captain of my team. I wanted to, um, like, summer league is one of the funnest things that I look forward to. I was trying to put on a little bit of weight, which didn't happen. But I was trying to, like, get better, you know. Um, I wanted to be featured in punks. Uh, Punks was like an online and, and, and a magazine that, that featured high school uh, sports athletes and like um, and there was this show called Sports Focus. Like I wanted to like have a week good enough to wear like I got a Sports Focus highlight and they were like we want you to go to this camp and my parents was on some like you can't play ball if you don't go do this debate camp and I was just really mad and angry so I went to the camp I didn't care nothing about debate. It was actually one of the first times I, like, spent the night at, like, a college campus, too. Like, got to see the dorms, you know. And um, the first college I ever saw was 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 UK. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to go to, uh, I mean, Kentucky is still one of my favorite universities of all time. But that was the first college I saw. But the first one I stayed at was, uh, was, was, was UC Davis. And so I went... And we did this debate stuff, and 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 I wasn't totally feeling it, but it was good. And then at the end, they give out awards. I, I kind of got into it, and then I got thirteenth place speaker. It was like a hundred and some kids there. Now you would think, right? Like as somebody who didn't want to be there, who didn't care about debate at all, who really just wanted to go play basketball. I actually snuck out during some of the stuff to go find basketball courts while I was at UC Davis, um, at this camp. And then I got 13th. That meant there were 12 other people that did better than me. So I took my medal. Me and my partner, Bobby, at the time. Uh, Bobby was the person that they paired me up with. We, we, we took our team tro- our team medals or whatever. And uh, I was like, fuck that. 12, these 12 people ain't better than me. I don't, I don't, I don't care what you say. Like, they not better than me. And so I took my medal and I chucked it. I I threw it. It's somewhere. Um, it's, it's probably somewhere <laughs> underground at UC Davis right now. So we come back. Um, I'm still playing ball. Everything is cool. Um, and the, the regular season is about to start for the debate thing. So I get a new partner, and I go. I'm going hard. Like I'm like I'm I'm, I'm cutting cards. I'm like putting my arguments together. Um, the affirmative, the negative, and all that stuff. And then we went to the tournament, and I beat everybody. I took. Um, first place team and first place speaker. And I never debated again after that. Now, let me just like this, this, so like the psyche of where I was at, right? Like, let's really think about it and how to, and let's connect this stuff. 
I could have kept debating like Emory and Atlanta was giving out scholarships. Like there were these colleges that were starting to come and they were giving out scholarships for people to like debate. Right. Like, and I really wanted to go to college, but I'd won. I'd won. Um, I, ma I mastered the field of what I was trying to do. And I feel like I, I, I just I just wanted to beat those people. I just I just wanted to beat the people that beat me. That was better than me. And uh, and then I, I stopped and I, I never debated again and went back to playing basketball. And 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 so, it, you know, it's um, I think when you when you think about entrepreneurs and people like some of many of us have that type of um, will to win. Um, some of us hate lose. It's not even that we love winning. I, I think there's a difference between loving to win and hating to lose. Um, and I think that both of those things can be both healthy and unhealthy at times. And you got to make that decision on your on your own. But that's that's the story. But that's that's the mindset that I've always had when I've done my work. I've always felt like like I could outwork anybody around me. Whether it's true or not, I, I mean, I don't know. But I've always felt that. You know what I'm saying? And so I um, So that's what motivated me then. So what motivates me now that the lower bottom of Maslow's uh, hierarchy is fulfilled? Like I'm not starving. I'm not, uh, I'm, not, I'm not worried about a bill. My bills go, they get paid automatically out of my account. Like I don't even like look at them, right? Um but I think that thing that I just highlighted, like, I think I can do certain things better than other folks can. I think the reason why I started Energy Converters is uh, I think that I can do a better job with young people working around student agency than what a school district can. I think school districts are big and they're slow. And while I support districts and I support schools and I always will, I always have, um, I think that me being an independent uh, entrepreneur in that space, I can just move in a more nimble way. I could be more responsive to the needs of people. You know, energy converters was never intended to only work with young folks. It was never intended to be set up in schools the way that it is right now. Um, in fact, I did a thought exercise around if I had to expand it, where would I expand it to? And my goals and my dreams have always been to impact the places where I grew up. So that's Chicago, Oakland, and Kentucky. And Oakland and Chicago get a lot of attention. So I looked into the, the projects that I grew up in in Kentucky, the Elmwood Court projects and Lincoln Court. The Lincoln Court projects have been uh, torn down for a minute now, but Elmwood Court is still there. Still the red buildings um, and, it's, and, and Paducah is super rural and it's super segregated. It's 75, 70 percent white, 25 percent black, and then the other five is other or something like that. And in the projects where I lived, right in the smack dab in the middle of it, is uh, the housing authority. And if I were able to expand that, this, I would set up shop in the housing authority. I would set up shop in the epicenter of where black people live there. And uh, because I believe in building up the agency of people. Um, I think that we put a lot of faith into school systems um that have never served us well they have they just do not have a good track record of serving black people well for the last 60 70 years and i always say this it's probably not the best metaphor but like i said i grew up poor 
It's like a refrigerator that's constantly broken. And we keep putting milk in there and being surprised when our kids get food poisoning. We keep being upset that, like, the milk (laughs) is spoiled. So Malcolm X says this very clearly. um, Only a fool will let his enemy educate his children. And now I'm not on some rebellious stuff like saying, don't put your kids in schools and nothing like that. Not at all. I, I, I wouldn't tell that to somebody. What I am saying is that there are so much, there's so much more that goes into the development of our people and the, and the survival of our people than just the school. I don't know when we got to a place where we stopped leaning on community. I don't know when we got to a place where we stopped leaning on elders and churches, whether you be Christian, Muslim, not, not, not a person of faith at all. The church, the black church, the black mosque, whatever the religious institution is in that neighborhood used to mean something to the community. They used to be out and doing stuff. They, they, they used to, like, take care of their people. Um, even when I was in elementary school, I went to crappy elementary schools, man, especially here in Oakland. They were terrible. They were horrible. Chicago, too. But the boys club down the street from my school, man, is what motivated me and kept me out of trouble. The boys club where Sam saw somebody trying to get me to be an errand boy, you know what I'm saying, and move some D across the street for them, like, like that... And Sam putting hands on that dude and saying, don't ever speak to this boy again. Don't come back around here. We're going to have a real problem. That's what actually partially made the difference between the man you see in front of you right now and not falling off and, and doing some other stuff. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I, I so I look at, I think entrepreneurs look at systems and say these systems are archaic, whether it is me looking at a school system or somebody looking at a healthcare system or somebody else looking at a criminal justice system and saying, I can do it better. Steve Jobs got fired from his own company, came back, focused him and said, we can do the cell phone better. And the iPhone has effectively changed the world. You can argue Samsung and Apple all day that you want, and that's fine. I love those arguments, right? You know what I'm saying? But, like, those folks becoming the tastemakers and trendsetters by saying we can do this better and actually trying to do it, that's the stuff. That's what changes things. And so, you know, those are the things that kind of motivate me now. And somebody said, what would I tell a young black boy that wants to be an entrepreneur? I would tell them um, to start figuring out what they like. Just really figure out what they like to do. And the reason why I'm going to go real hard on that is I used to play video games as a kid. And you would get like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, like you get made fun of for really liking video games, especially if you're an adult, right? Like there's no future in that, right? Now you got people that make hundreds of thousands of dollars playing sports on Twitch Live. Like, not even developing games. Like, let's not even get into developing games because that's a whole nother thing. Like, d- to develop games like Metal Gear Solid or or Call of Duty, like, they get movie budgets to do this stuff, right? But let's not even go to that super technical place. I'm talking about people that, like, play Madden online, play NBA 2K online. They are getting stacks now. So, you know... Like, I just don't, I don't know what the next thing is. You know what I'm saying? I think find out what you want to do and become really great at it. And look at systems and say, what can I do to improve this system? And also, man, you know, I uh, I live in Oakland. 
Oakland is changing. Like the the type of places you go out to eat and like uh, the things they serve. Avocado toast. I ain't hating on avocado toast. My nutritionist just actually said I got to start eating avocado toast. To I should eat it more or whatever on wheat bread. So I'm gonna do it right. But um, but there's a mom and pop like diner. That's like an old school diner. Like, I love this place. Like, I come in. They know my name. They got my regular cup of coffee. It ain't espresso. It ain't nothing fancy. It ain't no whipped cream. It's just regular old coffee and a regular old mug. And I get regular old bacon and eggs. I love this place. Do you understand? Like, I love this diner. Like, even that type of entrepreneurship, right? Like, what is missing? Because I feel like the soul of my city is changing. It's, it's gone. So anything that brings that back for me is dope. And also, the new stuff is dope, too. I'm not hating on the new stuff, yo. Like, Brown Sugar Cafe is, is dope. Like, it's it's cool. It wasn't no Brown Sugar Cafe when I grew up here. You know what I'm saying? It was the Broom Bush, um, which used to be in North Oakland and then moved out to Berkeley, right? Like, you know, but those... So so I think that anything that can... That can um, that can fulfill something that people are yearning for, a better mousetrap, um, a product that 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 improves systems. I think that I would tell her son to figure out what they like and get really, really good at that because the speed of everything changes. Like it's everything is on hyper right now, um, and I think that this is a new age, man. I think that if there are iPhones and the internet like it is right now when I was 15 and 16 years old, like, man, I, I think that I would be even further, you know, when I moved to, um, I left, I left, um, Emory high after my junior year, my basketball coach, they, they got, he, he didn't get asked to come back going into my senior year. And, um, and my parents had moved to Stockton, but they were going to let me stay at my boy's Will's house. And his mom was going to let me stay there. But, when my coach didn't come back, I was like, well, forget it. I'll just go with my family. And so I moved to Stockton. And for some reason, Stockton was in love with Oakland culture. Like, they were in love with Oakland and Bay Area rappers, right? And so I would always come home every two weeks to get my hair cut. I wasn't fooling with Stockton barbers back then. Um, so I would come home. And I would always go to, like, Fat Beats or wherever. I would get music. And I got a, we got a CD burner at the house. And so what I literally would do is I would get the latest Oakland music. I would have my headphones on at the at, at school. I'd be jamming out to my stuff. And they was already on me because I was an Oakland dude. And so people were already curious. What you listen to? I let them listen. Oh, was that Yuck Mouth? Oh, what's that? Okay, cool. And I would burn those CDs. I, so I would get you for a regular burn CD. It was $5. And if you wanted a mix, I made these, these Oakland mixes. Those was 10 I was bringing in like... $70, $75 a day. And then I also got a job at McDonald's, hated McDonald's. That was the worst job I ever had. But like McDonald's works for you, yo. Like that's to this day. I've listen, I've been a social worker that worked with children with special needs that have that have pushed over refrigerators. McDonald's is still by far the toughest job I've ever had. Like I've worked in the school district with like the media and all that stuff and <laughs> it still has nothing on McDonald's, okay? McDonald's is tough. I respect People that do McDonald's. Um, but, but I, you know, I didn't know that I didn't know it was called being an entrepreneur then. I was just hustling. And I, and, and I, I, you know, I wasn't comfortable. Like, you know, I, like I said, I never played around with the drug stuff, man, because of, you know, where I kind of came from and um, with my parents and stuff. But I was moving them CDs, man. And I was just first to market. 
So I had a burner and a lot of people didn't have burners. And the folks that had burners didn't have access to this Bay Area mu uh, music. So you got to remember, this is at a time when a lot of people didn't have, um, they didn't have like high speed internet at that time, right? So like I was actually going out to the town and like getting CDs. Like I would buy some, I would borrow some, I would do whatever. I would make my copies, get them their CDs back, and then I would just start pressing up stuff. And then the profit I brought in, I would spend 10 more dollars, get a big spindle of another 100, 200 like blank CDs, and I was off to the races. Um, it's, it, was, it was the lemonade stand for the black boy at that time, you know? And so, um, I, you know, entrepreneurship doesn't know an age. And you could be entrepreneurial, even the folks listening, man, even if you work for somebody, you could be entrepreneurial. Like, in that way, man, like, you know what I'm saying? I watch, man, there's so many folks that's out here selling, like, that used to sell chicken dinners. Every corner when I was growing up, there was a candy lady. Basically, all she did was go to Costco and buy a bunch of candy, and kids would show up to her house, and she'd have a markup of, like, 4X of what she paid for it, and uh, she'd make some extra money. So, so, so like I said, man, I, I think it would be developing a skill, finding what you're passionate in, and starting starting the process early on of being comfortable with failing, being comfortable with failing forward. Like, I fail so much. Like, even energy converters where it is right now. Like, I'm working hard. I'm busting my hump. It's so much stuff I don't know. There are so many mistakes I make daily. Like, I got, I got so much stuff right now that, like, I'm behind on certain things right now. You know what I'm saying? And I'm just going to have to thug it out and get it done. And, you know, even in my funding stuff, like there's some means for funding means that I do and I do well, some that I do bad in. I got to just get better. And this is a baby of mine and I love it. And but if it fails, then I need to take the lessons from that and figure out what the next thing is. And I'm a bill. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, that's that's just. You know, I am I am a proud failure. Yo, I'm a proud failure in front of you. Um, you know, I was just share, I think, I think because we live in the social media world, man, and people, um, we live in a time where people will listen to an album, go check social media first and then give you an opinion. You know how whack that is? Like, you know how, like, like, do you know how like corny and, and, and boozy that is? Like, what do you think? Do you like the album? Do you like this thing? But that's the that's the place we live in right now. So a lot of people don't like to fail because if you fail in front of folks, like they use it against you, right? Like, I mean, it's part of the reason why, you know, my presence on social media is, is changed. I was actually, I used to have a lot more Facebook followers. I had a lot more Twitter followers. And then I just kind of stopped, right? Like I kind of, you know, I took like Facebook is no longer on my phone. I'm doing this. I'm, I'm doing a live cast off my iPad. Um because I just feel like we zombified, like nobody has an opinion, like everybody has to run their opinions through the social media, like tastemaker gauntlet, you know what I mean? And a lot of people that's making your culture on online, black, brown, whatever, a lot of them wasn't really popping before like social media came out. Like a lot of these folks probably wasn't like the coolest cat at school, you know what I'm saying? But they learned how to navigate these social media streets and now they... You know, and I, God bless them, man. I, I don't, but I just don't care. Like, these people love you one moment and they don't the next. Like, it, it, I, I just, I, I don't, you should not be using social media to, to decide whether or not you like or agree with something. I think it should be a place to have conversation. 
and there's no level of nuance on social media. So I am going to share with you my failures. Like I have failed in a bunch of things. I have failed at business. I have failed in school. I have failed in relationships. I have failed in how at times of being a good friend. Like I fail a lot. And it's because I fail often and forward. That is why I'm successful. Like I have a lot of degrees, right? But like even, let me just share like when I was getting my MPA, when I was getting my master's degree, like I struggled in that program. Like I like I had to redo a bunch of papers over and over. But you know what? Nobody has ever asked me about my GPA in my master's program. You know what I'm saying? Except when I was going to to, to, to get my doctorate. You see what I'm saying? But like I failed a lot. But I learned every time I failed. Even in my doctoral program, there's a test that you got to take called a qualifying exam. It's an, it's it's, it's you're supposed to be able to construct an argument on a doctoral level um, and be able to demonstrate these competencies. And I worked through it and it was hard and I was struggling and I failed it the first time. And then I worked closely with a professor and I'm so glad that I failed the first time because my writing got so much better when I got that one-on-one work and the theories and stuff that I'm working on. Like I'm booked to go speak out of college this Wednesday, like they have a billboard of me up to come and talk about some shit that I thought up. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, but I failed so much in the development of that thought over and over and over again. Like somebody is like putting me on a billboard and asking me to go and speak on this thing. Like I get paid thousands of dollars to travel the country and talk about my ideas. Like, like, like I can't do that if I'm not failing. And so that that's the uh, advice I get to that, that that young boy is that don't let failure scare you. Uh, embrace it. Welcome it. Like if you're not failing often and early, like you probably not 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 dreaming high enough. Um, I, I don't you know what I'm saying? And so that that's the piece that I leave them with. I think. um you know, I don't want to talk y'all's ear off, man. I want to save some stuff for the next show. But one of the things I wanted to talk about was um, I think there's a brokenness, man. I think that there is a Douglas has this, this quote that everybody likes to quote that it's easier to build, you know, strong children than it is to build to, to repair broken men. And I think that people only look at the first part of that around the children piece, which is a dope piece, right? Like let's build better schools and let's build better community stuff and let's get these kids right. You know what I'm saying? So we ain't got to fix them as men. But I think people ignore the last part. Like what I want energy converters to be eventually down the line, whether it's here or not, is uh, we got to get into the man (laughs) fixing business. Like, cause on some level to even get to where we are and to be where we're at, like there's a level of brokenness that we have all had. You don't think it broke me to like live in all those places, live in those shelters, see my parents on drugs. Like, like I had such a fucking attitude to get to my level of success. Like I am paying, I am playing with house money. The, the good thing about that is you move through the world fearlessly, right? The bad thing about it is you do a lot of stuff along the way that you probably not that proud of because you didn't think you was going to be here. So like, like you didn't think that, like, you never, I never thought I would be successful. I never thought that I would travel out the country. I never thought um, that my bills would not be an issue. I never thought people would pay me to speak, right? So, you know, the bridges that you burn along the way or just like how hard you go, like, 
there is a brokenness that we all have, especially if you are a are, are a person of color um, that has, that has, and you have effectively, I have effectively gone from low class to like the middle class. Like I have effectively gone from broke to having a decent like amount of money and access and privilege, right? And so that transition, like I was not. The way I was built as a child, like I wasn't built for self-actualization. I was built to struggle with Maslow's first line of basic needs. Now that my basic needs are by far done and my mind is quieter now because I'm not worried about this bill, that bill, you know, my, my general security. Then you start to deal with another level of thought. So Maslow would say it in that way. Biggie would say more money, more problems. I told you there's a rap lyric for all this stuff. Like, like people try to like hide stuff to from you, you know what I'm saying? Like, and like it's like you gotta go to all this school and all this stuff to understand these concepts. No, you don't. There's a rap song or music or some type of pop reference that that goes back to these places. When Biggie says, more money, more problems, what he is saying is the shit that I used to worry about where I had to sell drugs in front of the building to feed my daughter are not the issues I'm dealing with now. Now I'm dealing with lawyers. I'm dealing with real beef where people want to kill me. I'm dealing with running a business. I'm, I'm dealing with brands. I'm dealing with all the dirt that I did to get here. I'm, I, I'm the person that said, hey, I need that number one mom pendant pregnant woman. You know he robbed a pregnant woman in his, in his breakout hit. You know what I'm saying? In his breakout album. You feel me? Like Now I'm in a different space in my life. And this is what I got to reconcile this shit. Like I have to reconcile the relationships that I had that have gone south. I have to reconcile like, like the, the, the anger and hatred that I have for my parents. Yo, like, like, like me using that hatred to like fuel me through the fire. Like how do you like restoring that relationship? Right. Some of it's justified. Some of it wasn't because I needed a common enemy. You see what I'm saying? Like we are like, broken and somebody has to be in the business of restoring broken men broken black men um i think somebody has to be in the business of restoring broken black women i'm not a black woman so i'm not the person to do that but i will support it the same way i feel the same way about brown people asian people whomever you know what i'm saying um and like but those are the conversations that i don't think we're having and so I'm I'm segueing and I'm starting the first part of this conversation here and I'll do I'll finish it in the next one. I'm segueing this into entrepreneurship because the entrepreneurship just isn't about the business of building a product or a program. It's also about the business of building yourself. You know, what, what how do you sleep at night? And you know, that's why you get the 444 album. That's why you got Eminem's album the way it was and even if people don't like it like there's a lot of like self-shedding in there that's why you get uh Chris Rock's tambourine special you know what I'm saying like Chris Rock and I talked about this and I'm gonna go deeper in this man because I love this stand-up special Chris Rock is normally the and he does arenas he sells out stuff he is raunchy rah-rah like you 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 bent over laughing right but Chris Rock just went through some real shit like you know what I'm saying he just got divorced he talked about cheating on his wife. He talked about the brokenness of that stuff. He talked about like the desire for like new women. And then like you get caught cheating, you got a new woman. Your girl is 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 brand new. You know what I'm saying? Like it's a whole new experience. And like, but bearing and shedding their souls, what you see are like these prominent men 
that were taught that manhood is one thing and uh and that shit is bad <laughs> you know what i'm saying like i don't like using like the, the the buzzwords on social media like toxicity and things like that you know what i'm saying but what it what i was taught what it meant to be a man and then actually being a man those things don't reconcile they don't reconcile and there are things that I've done that all these folks have done that they are ashamed of. But because we live in such a public space and a public world, like, look, man, people, the only thing people love more than building you up is the teardown. Like, I never want to be famous. I, I, I never give me the money, give me my bag and let me go. Like, it's in my five year plan to disappear. Like, is it my five year plan that you won't be able to find me? You feel what I'm saying? Like, and so. But we got to get to a place where we talking about that in, in, in our own community, because what I don't want to see happen, especially as a black man. I think that there are like we have to find a, a way to restore our own people, you know, folks have to be held accountable, but we have to restore our own people. Like, I don't want to let even the worst of us. I just don't want to get them away to white folks and to the world so they can just ravish them. I just, I just don't want to do that. Uh, because I've seen that happen. I've seen that happen with, uh, I mean, I feel like I've seen that happen with Mike Brown. I feel that white folks got their claws on somebody who was murdered and put a dead boy on trial. And people might say, oh, that's different than like a Chris Rock being clown for cheating on his wife. What the reason I see a connection is we set precedent. So when we set precedent that it's okay to drag these other people, the way if if the law is true here, then the law is true there. So if we don't care and we'll throw somebody away that maybe accomplished a lot of stuff and did some stuff, but then you know fell off their square, why why can't I like question if this boy um, robbed this store or maybe he did charge this person because that's what you black boys do. That's what you black people do. Um, so, like I said, energy converters, when I started it, to close this loop, and I know this conversation has been all over the place, like I'm aware, self-awareness is important, but I think it's important. Um, energy converters, I'm working with young people because that's what I'm good at, and um, like I'm not their teacher, they're not my student, I'm, I'm, I'm giving them that, I'm, I'm helping them discover their own navigation skills so they can do what they need to do. Um, but I think we got to be in the community fixing business and, and we got to do that for our own community. So um, with that being said, I'm going to go deeper into that next time. And I'm actually going to break down a little bit more like Chris Rock's uh, special because I think that special was amazing. I think him and Dave Chappelle came so, so hard, Joe. Um, like, I just I just got to honor those specials. I think that they... Awesome. And they gave us, they both gave us different looks. So with that being said, I hope you take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. This is Charles signing off for the Cold World Podcast. Peace.